Ready to dominate at the plate? Blast Baseball is trusted by more major league and college teams than any other hitting solution. The Blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat, providing real-time feedback with every swing. Go to BlastMotion.com and enter code NOWD1 at checkout to save $25. All right, everybody, it is 9 o'clock. Let's get right into it. We do this show every Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on X Spaces. I'm Alan Gay, and this is now D1 Speaks. Hey, we got a really cool show tonight, a show that I've been looking forward to. We're going to be talking with the pitching coach at Sacred Heart University. It's Coach Wayne Mazzoni. Hey, Coach, are you there? I am here, but just so we're, we start off on the right way, I am not currently the pitching coach at Sacred Heart. I was there 16 years. And now I have my own business with recruiting. So I've coached 30 years, but not currently coaching. Well, thank you for feeding us in on that. I appreciate it. And, and hey, didn't mean to misspeak there, but thank you for clearing that up immediately. So why don't you kind of kick it off with an introduction of yourself and maybe give us an idea of, uh, hey, where did you play college baseball? What positions did you play? And ultimately, what did get you into coaching? So I started, uh, went to college back in the late 80s, I went to Gettysburg College, and I ultimately really went to play football. Um, and after getting the, the crap beat out of me for a year on the football field, I decided to switch to baseball. Uh, lefty pitcher, lefty, you know, two-way guy, which you could do back in that day. So I, I was a two-way guy for three years at Gettysburg. And then, uh, like most people, when an idea of a real job came around, didn't sound all that exciting. So I started coaching right out of college and Along the way, coached at five different schools for over 30 years, and my last season was 2022. Gotcha. All right, man, you sound like a super young guy has been coaching for 30 years. 54. So, you know, I, I look young, I feel young, but, you know, it, it creeps up every day. <laughs> I hear you, no doubt about it. So, hey, I love that rundown. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely appreciate it. You've held different coaching roles. You've been at various institutions as well over those those 30 years. How has your style and approach really kind of changed over time? You know what? It, for the most part, it really hasn't. I think that's the one constant about coaching, especially baseball, even though things change in the way the sport's coached with internet and metrics and technology, but it's really coaching people to be, you know, to be productive, happy, structured people so that they can be the best they possibly can on the field and actually ultimately teaching them to become their own best coach. And that was one of the joys in coaching. You'd get a freshman who really didn't have an idea of the process to develop. And by the time they were a senior, they didn't need you incredibly anymore. And that was satisfying so that they realized it, it what it takes to actually make themselves great and the less they need you, you the more you know you did the job in the long run man i love that maybe talk about some of the key lessons that you've learned as well that that can help aspiring coaches and really maybe help athletes that are looking for a baseball career in, you know at the college level so i'll say this there's a lot of really good people that are really qualified love the game great coaches the problem is, at most levels of college baseball, the beginning part of the career is absolutely brutal. So you're basically not going to make much money, and you're going to work your butt off. And what happens to a lot of kids is, you know, they just had a four-year 
you know, degree and they've got loans and they've got pressure from family and then they could get this job that isn't all that exciting, but pays pretty well. And that's, that's faced with, all right, I'll take a, a coaching job for very little money that has a very lot of time. So there's a lot of people that get weeded out in that beginning where if they just would have stuck with that beginning part and almost viewed it as like a path to, to make a career out of it, they would have become great. But coaching loses a lot of people early on, a lot of people. I can understand that. It almost is like an internship, you know. Basically, it, yeah. Yeah, no question about it. And it is it is absolutely rough on young assistant coaches to get their foot in the door and really get started. Hey, everybody that's joining this evening, absolutely appreciate you guys being here. Uh, thank you for the support of Now D1. Thank you for the support of Coach Mazzoni. Hey, uh, we're gonna we're recording this space, and one of the great things about recording it is we'll be able to retweet it out later in its entirety. So if you did get in late, don't worry about it. So let me ask you something here, Coach Maz. You know, let me think about your pitching coach career while you were at Sacred Heart University. Kind of talk to us about some of the maybe some of the evolution that you kind of saw over the last 15, 16 years. Well, a lot of it was for the better, but some of it was for the worse. So, for example, certainly when I started, there was no plyo balls and driveline and metrics and Rapsodo and TrackMan. And while those things are fantastic and really can help you develop, ultimately, to me, your mental game has to be in the right place and you really have to have pitchability. I think a little bit of that pitchability, that finesse is being lost. So the kids that can do both, the kid that that already can throw three pitches for strikes is tough on the mound and that kid can develop some velocity he's going to become really really good but the kid that kind of developed through plyo balls into walls doesn't really isn't the kind of kid that wins games at the college level because it's way more than throwing hard if it was throwing hard i i think every staff would have a 2-0 era Man, I love that. I thank you for kind of walking through that because that's what you see on social media. You see so many guys throwing polo, polo balls into the wall, and you see so much about velo. So let me kind of ask you something here. I mean, the thing that grabs attention is the velo. That's kind of seems like that's what gets you on a coach's radar. So if you've got somebody who doesn't have that top-notch velo but has great command and is able to get people out, how do they get on a radar of a coach? That's a terrific question. So you're right. What it is is there's so many kids playing, so many kids pitching, so many teams and tournaments and camps that ultimately velocity is like this gatekeeper that if you hit this certain level, that will get you looked at. It doesn't mean you'll get recruited. So for the, the reality is for the other kids that don't have that yet, either someone's got to tell a coach to look at them or some coach has to be open-minded to that. I mean, my last one of my favorite recruits at Sacred Heart before I left was this kid, Mitch Hawkins. And I watched him at a game where the guy before him, who was committed to a a pretty well-known D1 school, was throwing 87 to 90 and getting hit around hard. And then Mitch comes in throwing 80-81, and he threw three innings where the other team looked like they never played baseball before. And I said, wow, if this kid can get out at 80-81, he's going to be ridiculous when he eventually becomes 85, 87, up to 90. Um, So... You just got to watch those kids in games. If you watch those kids throw bullpens and you watch them on the metrics, it's going to be boring. But if you watch how hitters react to them, which is ultimately the way to judge any pitcher, then those kids can still stand out. 
Man, that's outstanding. And and right now, I know you're working with a lot of pitchers, in particular, you know, through private instructions, camps, clinics, even online. Hey, Coach Maz, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out and find you? I'll give them three different ways. So on Twitter, it's Coach Maz. Uh, Instagram is Coach Maz Baseball. And then I've made the easiest email ever, which is Wayne at WayneMazzoni.com. So that shouldn't be too confusing. And then I don't know if you're okay with it. I'm happy to give out my cell phone. And, and if people want to you know, contact me directly, I, I like to run things personally. So I'd, if you do it now or I could do it later, happy to give out my phone number. Oh, please give it out now, and I'll make sure to include it in our episode description as well. Sure. It's 203-260-4932. And just text me anytime. Tell, you, you know, tell me you heard me on, on this podcast, and I'd be happy to respond. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And, uh, and so, you know, it's kind of interesting maybe doing some virtual or online lessons. How, how does that work? How are you able to do that? Okay. So there's a couple of things to that. My perfect student, if you will, would be one that I would work with both in person and remotely. And the idea is that while I think in-person lessons are great, there's not a lot of follow-up throughout the course of a week until you see this person again. So I like the idea of doing a lesson with a kid and then basically giving him homework to do. And then that homework is done and he could post himself doing videos online. And then whenever it's convenient, I go in and evaluate those videos. I can download the video, do a video analysis of it, send it back to the kid. So the bottom line is it's just more interactions as opposed to just seeing a kid Monday at four o'clock and you don't see the kid again till Monday at four o'clock. Well, who knows what's going on? in those 168 hours between those sessions. Um, The other kids that I do work with straight up just remotely, it's a a lot of things. It's more of what is their strength training program? What is their mental program? What is their throwing program? What's their delivery? It's pretty easy with technology these days to get on a Zoom and do a side-by-side analysis of a kid with a pro and, you know, go over some basic things that are holding them back. And most kids... High school kids have usually one or two things that's really, really holding them back and ultimately will change their career if they can get it fixed. Makes sense, man. Hey, you've had the opportunity not only to be jump on this this podcast, but I mean, you've been on a lot of sports radio stations, programs, even TV as well. Hey, there had to have been some memorable moments. Could you kind of maybe share something? Well, I'll give you one for the good and one for the not so good, if you will. One was that here in in the the New York, you know, kind of northeast area, WFAN is everybody knows it. It's the biggest sports radio station in the country. And I've been on that 20 years straight um, with a wonderful guy named Rick Wolf, who was a a college coach and and really a great guy. And unfortunately, he passed away in the last year. So that's certainly a, a huge negative. I mean, that was an annual thing that I would be on his show and he would get great listeners that would call in. Um, so I always enjoyed it and just sad that he, you know, that he passed. Um, but on another note, I've done a few cool ones where like I was out at USC and they basically put you in the football stadium and the ABC like interviews me with the football stadium in the background. So I've had some cool experiences, you know, on, on that front. That sounds really cool. No question about it. How about just some key takeaways from those experiences? Maybe not a memorable moment, but just really your experiences and, and having a public life as well and a guest speaker. How has that really helped you be a better educator? So that's a great thing. So the reality is I learned everything that I know 
or let's put it this way, 98% of what I know because someone either taught me or I learned from somebody else. So basically, I just do the same thing. I'm trying to teach people what I know and pass it along. I mean, and then hopefully eventually they'll pass it along to somebody else. That's how knowledge goes around. Occasionally, I've had some spare time where I've actually come up with some cool things and on my own completely, and I like to teach those as well. Like I came up with, before the days of Pitchcom, I came up with a pitch calling system that I think was genius and that made playing baseball as, as fast as humanly possible while pitches were being called. And then sort of the technology, you know, sort of put that to the wayside because there's easier ways to do it now. But bottom line is, to answer your question, I'm doing for others what others did for me. Good stuff. And, hey, I appreciate the, the context in regards to technology and how technology just kind of keeps advancing the game. I'd love to know about your system. You know, just kind of give us a sense of the, the pitch calling system that you were using and how it really uh, sped the game up. Okay, so I'm going to try to make this as fast as I can, not to bore people, but it's actually really cool. So during college practices, I would throw a lot of live at-bats. So here I am, 50-something, I'm throwing as hard as I can live at-bats, talking a little smack to the players to get them a little bit worked up, right? So, and I didn't want, here's the coach throwing. The coach doesn't want to spend, you know, 35 seconds communicating with the catcher. No, I don't want this pitch. Plus, I'm a pitching coach. I know what pitch I want to throw. So I basically said to the catchers, I'm going to tell you zero means the, the ball's way in. One is in, two is away, three is up, four is a curve, five is a slider, six is a change. And I went through what all these numbers mean. And I assigned these numbers to certain pitch. So if you just simplify it and say one is an inside fastball, then I could have this catcher and say, okay, I'm going to stand on the mound. I'm going to yell out 6-1-2. The middle sign is live. So I'd say 6-1-2. The catcher knows I'm throwing an inside fastball. And it would work really, really fast. So obviously now you're not having the pitcher on the mound in a college game yelling out the numbers. But what I would do is from the dugout, we would use three numbers and each inning we would change the numbers. So, for example, let's say we put out 278 and that inning, the difference between the second two numbers is the call. So what's the difference between seven and eight? It's a one. What's one inside fastball? So the entire team would look into the dugout, know what's live that inning, and know what pitch was coming based on the signs from the dugout. So the whole defense knew what was happening, knew if a pickoff was coming, knew if a pitch out was coming. Everything was communicated instantly, and it got to the point that the second the pitcher caught the ball, the whole team knew what pitch was coming, and we would actually get in fights during games because the other team was yelling that we were going too fast. So the umpire would actually come over to our dugout and say, We've never seen anyone go this fast. You have to slow down. You have to give the hitter a chance to get ready in the box. Man, I love it. That, that is a great explanation and walkthrough and very understandable. I mean, I got it immediately, and I'm sure the guys understood it too. And I love the fact that you could change it from inning to inning and, and still, hey, man, you obviously had smart guys. They were able to kind of put that, that little piece together. If they needed to do some quick, some quick math, they were able to use those skills as well. That's, that's really okay. cool stuff, man. Yeah, and of course you're you're doing this in practice all the time, so you're not you're not and you're not doing major major math, you know. But right. once they got up to speed with it and realized how quick it is, and and some guys didn't use it because some guys they they earned the right to call their own game. I, I in my 
days as coaching. I didn't say everyone had to have pitches called for them. It was each guy on his on his own. And if the results worked or he called his own game, fantastic. If not, I would call it. Most of them wanted me to do it. But again, I, I, I don't like a blanket thing where everybody has to do the same thing when it comes to anything in baseball because I think there's a lot of ways to get the same thing accomplished. Heck yeah, man. That is, that's just a really cool experience and very innovative. I love that. I mean, the thing that's so cool about coaching, I think, is that you have the opportunity to really uh, copy other coaches that have been successful and be able to use a lot of the methods that they use. But you can also just be as creative as you want to be, you know, and, and if you have the opportunity to, to, to really be able to figure out something a little bit new and, or a new nuance or just a little bit of a change to a coaching philosophy, you know, you could kind of be on the forefront. I think that's really cool. It's almost like I can almost imagine just getting up every morning and say, hey, how creative do I want to be? What, what can we do that's a little bit different that really makes the game better? Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the, the great parts of going to coaching conventions. I mean, I've been to many of them. Uh, I'm a regular uh, speaker and, of course, listener at the Mohegan Sun one, the World Baseball Coaches Convention. And, man, I've learned a lot from really good people like Derek Johnson when he was on that, when he was a college coach. I mean, he he would present stuff that just blew me away, I mean, and really impacted a lot of the stuff I did. And then sometimes I'd take his thing and then put my own tweak on exactly what he talked about, put my own spin on it. But those conventions, I'm sure they happen in all sports, but to really learn from, from each other and coaches actually telling you how they're, they're coaching is really, really, really neat. That's awesome, man. Hey, again, everyone that's joining us, thank you so much. We absolutely appreciate it. I mentioned earlier that we record this space so that we can retweet it out. We also record it because we turn it into a podcast, and that podcast is now D1 Speaks, and it has really become quite popular. I mean, the, our core audience is really uncommitted high school, junior college, transfer portal kids that are looking for an opportunity to be heard. And uh, we have, what we have found out is we've just got a lot of college coaches that dial in. They want to hear it. They, they listen to the podcast at their own leisure, kind of scroll through some of the titles. They find kids, uh, positions that they're looking for, regions, areas. And it just gives these guys an opportunity to really kind of talk about what their makeup is, who they are off the field. It's not as much about their on-field accomplishments as it is their off-field accomplishments. And I think we've really found a really cool little niche. If you're interested in, in hearing more of those, I hope you'll go out and find us. It's uh, Now D1 Speaks. Hey, Coach Maz, man, you have written a bunch of books. And the books that you've really written primarily are about recruiting and, and the mental aspect as well. But I really kind of want to focus on that recruiting piece. And, you know, I mean, the recruiting world just kind of keeps changing. Talk to us about your book and maybe some of the tips that could really help high school athletes and their parents kind of navigate the recruiting world. Yeah, I started writing these books for a couple of reasons. And the biggest was that I spent a lot of time, like all college coaches, on a bus. And the kids are studying or sleeping. And, of course, now you could watch stuff on your phone or a computer. But back in the day, you didn't have that. You had maybe a computer, but certainly no Internet. So bottom line is I started writing a lot because I had the, the time to be, you know, to do it being on a bus and then recruiting specifically because I really saw how absolutely lost people really were, well-intentioned, but they kind of had just enough information to be really dangerous. It's like kind of knowing how to do heart surgery. Like you, you pretty much want to know exactly what you're doing. So I tried to write it from the perspective of here's what college coaches 
view the process. Here's how you know high school travel coaches view the process, and then how players and parents view the process. So, really, the the two things I think that have to happen, and they've probably heard it before, but maybe it'll help to hear it again. Is number one, get a realistic assessment of your talent level from as many qualified people as possible. The the fact is that I think most kids, most parents really overshoot the level for a lot of reasons. One, of course, they love their kids, and, and but they also see themselves compared against maybe their high school friends and just their travel team, but they're not a college coach recruiting all over the United States, so they don't have this perspective of what a college athlete, you know, a baseball player really needs to be. So the, the idea is get as good of an assessment as possible because if you don't, you'll spend a lot of time trying to get the coaches at these schools on your list that are ultimately not going to work out. Meanwhile, other schools that would have been a perfect fit by the time you go back to them and say, oh, I'm ready for you now. I realize these other schools don't want me. They're already done. They, they, they found the kids that they want already. So that first part of that process, whether it's a high school coach, travel coach, going to camps, you, you, if you know a, a guy that played college baseball or a scout, anyone that can help you get an assessment of your talent level ultimately will save you a huge amount of time in the long run towards getting to where you want to go. That's that's number one. And then number two is you got to make this process personal. And I think what too many kids do is they think, well, I'll just email coaches and I'll fill out questionnaires and then I'll just kind of hang out and then all the schools will come running to find me. And it just doesn't work that way. It's got to be much more personal. The kids that I've recruited over my 30 years were basically, I probably heard about this kid in some way, and that's what got me to the field to watch this kid. I didn't always recruit that kid, but I would always go watch someone that I heard about. So if you don't have people basically trying to connect you to college coaches, unless you're unbelievably good, you're pretty much going to be overlooked in this chaotic process. That's great advice, especially the assessment piece. I think you're 100% right. Um, you know, it is a shame. You see a lot of the, the now, the the, uh, the D1 or bus kids, you know what I mean? And and there's so much good college baseball at every level across the country. And, and, and ultimately, you know, the opportunity just to play college baseball is elite. It, it just doesn't matter where you're going. I, I think one of the, the key pieces especially for parents to kind of help some of their kids as well is is really look at what the school has to offer outside of baseball i mean and if the school offers the degree that you want it, it fits the culture that you like it's the enrollment size that you want it's maybe the right type of distance from your home if those things really start fitting then baseball is just going to be a tremendous plus for you it's almost like you know, look for the school first. You know, that's that's the piece that's going to really pay you off over the next 40 plus years of your life. I mean, the, the opportunity to play professional baseball, you know, that what a challenge. But if you're if you're fortunate enough and good enough to play college baseball, you know, while you're attending school, obviously, what a blessing that is. But I think you really need to kind of you know, get a get the right assessment. I think you just knocked it out with that. Really figure out where it is that you fit. Put together a nice little plan of schools that kind of fit into that into that category, and then start reaching out to them on a on a much more personal level. Have some have some real knowledge, 
you know, of the school and why it is that you really want to attend and what potential it is that you're bringing to that school. I think coaches would eat that up. Yeah, and there's there's two other things to add with that, and you're exactly right. But still, at this moment, 7% of high school athletes will go play college baseball, okay? And out of that percent, 2.2% will play at the Division One level, which you can really say half of those are pitchers and half of those are position players. So if you're a, a high school pitcher, by statistics, you have a 1.1% chance of playing of pitching at the Division One level. So you're up against the huge challenge, number one. And then secondly, I deal with a lot of these schools like in Endicott uh, up in, in Boston and Salve Regina in Rhode Island. Salve Regina, um, on their pitching staff at a Division Three level, about half their pitchers, so about nine of their pitchers, are in that 88 to 92 range. So <laughs> it's crazy. And, and you look at their, their roster and their, you know, and, uh, and their record, et cetera. You know, they win almost 40 games at the Division Three level. They're really, really talented. So I think people don't have that idea of how good these Division Threes are because they don't see them on TV. They don't go to the games. They just assume, well, that's kind of my fallback plan after high school. And the reality is it isn't. Great advice, man. Hey, do you work with any clients specifically in regards to recruiting? Yeah, that's now, after coaching, that's now what I do. So basically I work with kids on their development. So in general, hitters, pitchers, just Here's what's your roadmap to get yourself better. So that's number one. And then secondly, yes, I work with kids, you know, specifically on the recruiting process, provided I think, A, they're good enough, and B, just as I alluded to before, that we agree on the level that's a right fit for them. So if I've evaluated you as as the solid Division II player, maybe some Division ones can fit, you know, a lot of the Division threes, but you only want to play at Penn State, Boston College, Northeastern, you know, Indiana – it's not going to work because ultimately we're just not going to be happy with where the process goes. So ultimately that's really what I do now. I work with kids to get them a chance to play in college. Perfect. I mean, that's, that's outstanding. You're going to benefit so many people that are listening to this show, you know, not only today, but really over the next month, three months and so on, as it just kind of sits out there. I mean, it's, it is uncommitted guys and their parents and they're trying to figure out how to navigate the the whole recruiting world so with that in mind i mean here over the last year two years the, the recruiting has changed drastically i mean you throw the transfer portal in that has had a, a, a tremendous impact on recruiting you look at the pandemic and how it kind of created in many cases a six-year baseball player which has had a huge impact on recruiting and even the most recent contact rule change for division one where, where you know where they're not reaching out until your, I think it's your August of your junior year. I mean, right. there's been a lot of changes that have taken place. With that in mind, what's some simple, and I say simple, but maybe if you had some simple advice just to give to parents and to prospects as to how to kind of start navigating these new waters. Okay, so I'll, I'll say two pieces to that question. Number one is because of those things you've said, college baseball is the strongest it's ever been since since any you know any time ever because of the, the how upper class and even post college you know the grad students etc there's a lot of adult males playing college baseball at a lot of levels a lot of 22 year olds a lot of 23 year olds like never before so the level of college baseball is unprecedented for sure i can't speak as much for the other sports but it's the exact same thing certainly you know for baseball no question about it the second thing is Really, when these college seasons end, 
So when the Division One season ends, depending whether it's May if you didn't make the playoffs or late May if you did, and, or June if you're into a regional, etc. The first month after the season, they don't even. There is no interest in what's going on with high school baseball players at all. All they're trying to find out is who is leaving our program, who is transferring out, and who can we get into the program. So realistically, the first month after the season, they're recruiting for the upcoming fall. So, And then after that, that gets settled, and they know where they stand with the portal and who's leaving and who's coming, and they have a grasp on their roster for the upcoming year. Now they'll start hitting what's going on with the high school kids for the following recruiting year. So for in some regards, if you're not committed you know, early, if you're not one of those kids who's at 25 who's already committed, the reality is it may not happen until July because in May and June, they got other fish to fry. They're, they're trying to get a transfer in that could change the program immediately rather than worrying about a 16, 17-year-old in high school that may help or may not help down the road. So that's how the process has changed. Hey, that's really good advice and puts it in perspective, too, because you know how it is. Hey, just being a parent, of course, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to, to give your, your kids the right opportunity. And uh, just trying to figure out where everything fits in and what what's a good timeline and, and so forth. And I think that's just fantastic advice right there, right off the bat, just to kind of keep things in perspective of what's happening on the other side that you don't know anything about. Hey, I got to tell you, Coach Mazzoni, it's been a great Really, hey, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you being on so much. I think that what what it is that you have to offer, not only through your coaching experiences, but now your lessons that you're providing as well, and then kind of put that, you know, on top of that, the recruiting aspect that you're able to help families. I mean, you just offer a ton. And uh, I, I just feel very, very fortunate that you took some time out to, to jump on the on the podcast with us today. So thank you very much. Uh, it was it was a pleasure to be here. And one of the things that you get as you get a little older is you get this big picture perspective. And all the time I, I see kids who I remember as ninth and 10th graders and they weren't strong and they didn't have good mechanics. And then I've seen many of these kids. Even yesterday, I ran into this guy, Brad Case, who made it to AAA this past year. Hopefully he'll become a big leaguer soon with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And like to see him where he is now and then to remember him when he was in ninth and 10th grade when I started to work with him. Like, boy, the, there's there's so much in front of you if you have just that structure and you have a plan to develop. You never know where you can get to in this world. Man, that's really cool stuff right there. And I, I got to tell you, it kind of leads me to maybe one last question as we kind of wrap it up. And, and, you know, you're talking about kids' development and so forth. Hey, if you had an opportunity really to, to talk to a kid that's just now entering his freshman year at high school, you know, just kind of kicking things off. Really good baseball player. He wants to be as good as he can for as long as he can. What kind of advice would you give him that includes some academic advice as well? Again, it's fine. It's talk to friends, talk to people that have done what you're trying to do and get some feedback from them. So whether that's, you know, a kid who is a sophomore in college and maybe when they were in ninth grade, they weren't the best student and how did they go about managing their grades in high school and college? So even simple things like getting an actual planner and putting a planner on your desk and writing out when you're gonna study and putting your phone away and getting assignments all mapped out when they're due and when your tests are. So again, back to how we started this conversation, I learned from other people in coaching, I try to teach other people now, 
there's many people that can help you. And it doesn't always just have to be a coach. It could be a player who you, you look up to that could mentor you and just you ask questions. I mean, that's one of the things back when I was a college coach, the first thing I would do every year with my pitching staff, we had 22 guys in the pitching staff and we'd spend two hours right when we all got back and we'd sit in the locker room and we'd say, tell us what you learned this summer. You played in the Cape, you played in the NECBL, you went to driveline. What did you learn this summer that helped you? It might be a new way to throw a slider. And then the whole team would have no pads and everybody would write stuff down. And then they would try the things that the other guy said. Maybe they hated it, but they tried and they listened. So I would say to a ninth grader, listen to other people. Look online. Open your mind. Don't trust everything because some people are well-intentioned but aren't telling you the right things. And and test it out for yourself and ultimately decide what works for you for you to develop. And that is in every capacity from arm care to T-work to – uh, strength training to academics, be a sponge and then decide what, what's going to work for you. Man, that's some great advice right there. And it's a great way to end it. I got to tell you. And, and anyone that is listening that would like to learn more or have some, some more information from coach Mazzoni, man, please reach out to him. You know, he is certainly going to be online, you know, whether it's his website, his social media accounts, or even his phone number. I mean, he has been gracious enough for me to include that. And uh, it would be a, an opportunity just maybe to send a quick text and strike up a conversation, and who knows where that might go. Hey, Coach Mazzoni, man, you've been absolutely awesome. Again, thank you so much for uh, tonight. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate what you do. You do a great job. Man, thank you for the kind words, and thank you for everyone that's been listening. Hey, let me ask you something. Are you ready to dominate at the plate this season? Blast Baseball is the number one hitting improvement solution trusted by more major league, college, and travel ball teams than any other. The blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat, providing real-time feedback with every swing. Metrics are automatically sent to a smartphone app, generating insights that allow you to analyze and improve your hitting like never before. Go to blastmotion.com and enter code NOWD1 and you will save $25 at checkout. Unlock your potential with Blast.